Well, if you will join me in the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. This morning we will be looking at verses 14 through 17, and the title of our sermon this morning is Sola Scriptura, Scripture Alone. And our keywords for our worshipers and training are Bible, Authority, and Sufficiency. Now, as most of you know, October 31st, 2017 marks the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. Now, we've been looking at all of the major milestones of the Reformation in Sunday school, and all around the world this year, there have been conferences focused on the Reformation, and rightly so. Historically, Not just for the church, but for the entire world, the Protestant Reformation stands as one of the most significant, world-changing periods of history since the beginning of time. And I know that's an enormous statement, but intentionally so. As the world came out of the Dark Ages into the Renaissance period, and then as the Reformation began, new discoveries of old truths and, and ways of thinking and understanding found their way back into the common life of individuals and in the church. And throughout all of the communities where it began as it spread, Now, as for the church, the foundational truths of Scripture were buried under years of tradition and abuses of power and and political maneuvering and financial ambitions, except for God keeping and preserving His truth among a few individuals here and there who were eventually able in time to sound the alarm and recover what was being lost. Today, the world benefits from the Protestant Reformation in more ways than people even recognize. Things like the way we think about hard work, the way that we think about education. These are products of the Reformation. As we think about our responsibilities to those who are, who are poor and sick, those are products of the Reformation. The nation of the United States was founded upon the basic tenets that were rediscovered and propagated during the Reformation, things like liberty and personal responsibility. And while many evangelicals and Protestants today know little about the Reformation, the fact is that that were it not for this great work of God during the 16th and 17th centuries, our churches would not exist today. And I think it's completely appropriate to say that the world would be nothing like it is today by any stretch of the imagination, not for the better, but for, for far worse. Now, as much as I'd love to give more background to the history of the Reformation, We're entering this this series this morning with some bit of an assumption that at least on on some level you have a basic sense of of what went on historically. Now, if you want to learn more, and I hope you do, we've been been doing this in Sunday school. We've covered a lot of ground, and and those classes will be available online. I can can recommend all sorts of wonderful resources. But, But over the next few months, what we're going to do is leading up to October 31st, we're going to be considering 12 essential principles of 
the Reformation. We want to think through the most important rediscoveries that populated the thinking and the writing and the preaching of the Reformation, not because we idealize a certain period of time or the people who were involved, but because we believe that what happened was, was biblical and important And it has been tremendously helpful and influential in giving us a solid foundation to stand on as we seek to understand and apply the truth once for all delivered to the saints. Now, whether Christians today know it or not, if a person is not a Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox, they are historically considered a part of the Reformation. Some traditions more closely align with the predominant ideas of the Reformation, but the point is that whether a person is Baptist or or Presbyterian or Charismatic or Lutheran or Methodist or, or on and on, they are what they are because men and women in the 16th century began to do what they could do to turn the eyes of the people in the church toward what we know today to be the Scriptures that they didn't have access to. And in many ways to turn their eyes away from the departures that had taken place from the truth of the scriptures. A radical departure from biblical Christianity. And that's, and that's where the word Protestant comes from. It was a protest against all that was going on in that day in the church. They protested what was going on because it was a departure from Christ. It was a departure from the Bible. It was departure from the great truths of the Christian faith. Now, that's not to say that everything that came out of the protest was good and right. Every movement, every revolution has its sour apples, but overall we see a transformation as a result of all that was accomplished in 150-so years of a time span. And it's good. And the Lord did it and has been glorified even today because of it. Now, a lot of what we'll cover... In fact, most of what we'll cover among evangelicals, among those who are of Protestant mind and tradition, will not be controversial, or at least it shouldn't be. Some of it may, it shouldn't be. But these are things that people have died for. These are the things that have meant enough to our brothers and sisters in Christ in the history of the church to give their lives for, and we need to know why that is. Why were these issues so important to them? Why should they be important to us? Now, of course, what what some of this will sound like to a person who doesn't know the full breadth of history is that we're just, uh, that we're sort of attacking Roman Catholicism all the time. And maybe, maybe you have a Catholic background, or your parents or your grandparents are Catholic, so you hate to hear a lot of talk about Uh, whether or not the Catholic Church can even be considered Christian. Two things I want to say about that. First, we are a Reformed Church, so we identify very solidly with the principles of the Reformation, which in part is a rejection of Rome's teaching, because we believe it is not biblical. We are Protestants, and so to this day, the protest against the errors of Rome continue. However, secondly, what we are not saying is that a person who is Roman Catholic is automatically not a Christian. There are Roman Catholics who are Christians. I believe that's true. But I, I, I think we see that among many of the Reformers. They were, they were Catholic when they were converted, and I, I think we continue to see that today. Nevertheless, it is in spite of, not because of, the Roman Catholic Church. 
That system of religion, that scheme of salvation, the role of priests and popes and and the place of Mary and the saints and the denial of basic gospel principles, the selling and supposed use of indulgences and relics and purgatory and, and, and mysticism, all this system, this structure is not in itself Christian and was exactly what the reformers sought to reform. And, and while we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about all of that, historically it's impossible to understand this period of history without knowing what was going on and why it was going on the way that it happened. So, so while I and the elders of, of Redeemer Baptists agree with the conclusions of the Reformers, I, I'm simply recounting history more than anything. Not to, not to sort of uh, ride off on a hobby horse to spend our time critiquing Catholicism. We're, we're recounting history. And I'll, I'll say this, though. For the most part, modern evangelical and Catholic parties have sought to bury many of these differences and, and, and not really talk about them. But as I said, people have died for these things because they're that important, And many of the things we will address, several of the principles I will preach on are things to this day that Rome says is heresy. So if you want to defend the Catholic Church, remember, if you yourself are not a Roman Catholic, their official dogma is that you are a heretic. And especially if you hold to any of the principles that we're going to be dealing with. So it's not that we're, we're trying to find problems. We're not trying to find bones to pick. But they're, they're not neutral in this either. It is a disagreement, a very strong disagreement. I believe a very necessary disagreement. There simply is no reconciling the two where we stand. It's not possible as many would like it to be. So that being said... This is the historical foundation of the Protestant Reformation, and it's important to know why and how things came to be what they are. Now, during the Reformation, the Reformers focused their efforts on bringing change in several areas that had drifted far afield from the Bible. The first five things we are dealing with are what have come to be known as the five solas of the Reformation. That is, five things that must stand alone in serving their purpose. Sola is the Latin word for alone. And all five of the solas have a Latin name. Sola Scriptura, scripture alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. Sola fide, by faith alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. And soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. Now, in addition to these five solas, we're going to look at seven other principles that were focused on during the Reformation, each of which we find to be very important. Bedrock doctrines of the faith and structure and functioning of individual Christian life, of our families, and of the local church. So that being said, this morning we're going to begin with the first sola, sola scriptura, scripture alone. Now, of course, on everything that we will discuss, a lot can be said, entire books have been written about all of this, so hopefully, if nothing else, we're whetting your appetite a bit so you can think more deeply about these things and perhaps you will read and study more on your own and have a more significant grasp of these principles. So we will focus on sola scriptura and consider Paul's words in his letter to the young pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's begin reading together in verse 14. If you're using the Blue ESV Bible, you can find this on page 996. 
Paul writes, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Princeton theologian J. Gresham Machen once wrote, The Reformation of the 16th century was founded upon the authority of the Bible, and it set the world aflame. Now today, most people assume that Christians, the, the Christian church, rests its beliefs and practices on the Bible. However, that has not always been the case, thus making sola scriptura the initial battleground in the beginning of the Reformation. So what is the primary issue here? The church had throughout the Middle Ages, or you may have heard of it referred to uh, as the Dark Ages, um, they'd been strengthening the office of the Pope. And in, in so doing, they got into the place where they openly asserted that he was not only the head of church councils, but also the infallible interpreter of Scripture. In other words, the Scripture received its authority. The Bible was authoritative because the Pope said so. Now, the earliest of the Reformers, Martin Luther, rejected this assertion arguing that Scripture had authority over everyone, including popes, church fathers, and even church councils, all of which had erred in the past. Moreover, Luther said, not only is Scripture our only infallible authority, but a schoolboy with Scripture in his hand is better fortified than the Pope himself. And so the issue is that we understand it today to be infallible that the Bible has authority, and that the Bible is sufficient. So for Luther and for Protestant Christians today, what made the Bible the supreme authority was was that not only was it inspired by God, but as a result of it being God-breathed, exhaled by God, the Scriptures, and the Scriptures alone could not and do not err at all. On the other hand... Church councils and church leaders have erred many times. So while many believe that the the traditions of the church, together with, with their ideas, their teachings, were inerrant authorities, Luther argued that Scripture alone, sola scriptura, that this, this Word of God is our only inerrant authority. It is without error and it cannot err. So upon that historical backdrop, we consider Scripture. Often we take it for granted. We simply make assumptions about what Scripture is, how it should be understood, how it should be interpreted, how it should be studied. But even for the Christian who who has thought through the important matters of the authenticity and authority of Scripture, it is important to be reminded of the role that God intended it to play in the Christian's life. Now first, let's think about what sola scriptura is not. Sola scriptura is not the position that all truth is found in the Bible. There are many things that are true 
that we do not find in the pages of the Bible. And maybe that's obvious, but it's an important clarification. The Bible is not written as a science book. The Bible is not written as a math book. And while there are things of of scientific and mathematical nature in Scripture, we need to understand the genre. We need to understand the intention of the writers of Scripture. They were not to expand the full breadth of all true knowledge that a person can have. So it's better stated that insofar as the text explores a specific issue, it is without error. Further, sola scriptura is not, the, is not the position that the Scriptures are the only form in which the truth of God has ever come to His people. Now think with me here, so I'm not misunderstood. The Lord has saved, the Lord has regenerated men and women without the written Word of God in history. But not without what we call redemptive revelation. That is God revealing himself to mankind in some sense with regard to man's lost condition, his enmity with God, and man's need for redemption through the person and work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we think historically, it's important to be clear that what man needs to be saved is God revealing himself to man which hasn't always been the Scriptures. If, if that were the case, then anyone prior to the, the finishing of the New Testament would not have what they needed in order that God would save them. If Jesus or the apostles were still on the earth, the Scriptures would not be as necessary as they are today. Progressively throughout redemptive history, God has revealed more and more of the truth about Himself to His people. And until the Scriptures were completed... The revelation, that revelation was incomplete. However, I say all of that with this big however, even Jesus and the apostles themselves gave a very, very high priority to the written word and made frequent use of it. Nevertheless, as for all of us today, God no longer communicates through apostles and prophets that are living, but those that have recorded the Word of God. And so, finally and fully, all things that have been committed to the Scriptures are necessary redemptive revelation, and we have it all in the Bible. We are better off, brothers and sisters. We are better off than those who have gone before us because we have God's Word fully and finally and completely. The Bible preserves God's revelation of Himself and His work so that the truth within it may be propagated and the church may be established and assisted by by the history of faith and practice. Without the Bible today, there is no assurance that the church will continue to walk in truth and holiness. So without any other available means by which men can receive redemptive revelation, the Bible is essential. The Bible is necessary. Sola Scriptura is not an assertion that every verse of the Bible is equally clear to every reader. The Bible itself tells us, uh, Peter, Peter writes, that even some of Paul's writings are difficult for him to understand. So when you're reading Paul's letter, when you're reading through the book of Romans and you're scratching your head saying, I don't get this, 
Well, rest assured, even the other apostles struggled. They had a hard time. So don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged and toss it aside and say, I guess it doesn't matter because I can't understand it. You're not alone. Even the other apostles struggled from time to time. However, Sola Scriptura does affirm that all that is necessary for man's salvation is plain and is clear. Even simple enough for a child to understand. And so we have things in the Bible that are are very simple and very plain and very straightforward, but we have things that are very difficult and challenging and that will engage our hearts and our minds for the rest of our lives onto eternity. God has brilliantly woven into the Scriptures that which we will chew on forever and ever. Lastly, Sola Scriptura is not arguing that the church both the laity and the clergy in the church, is is not of tremendous value to interpret the Scriptures. It's incredibly arrogant and short-sighted to think that we can know all there is to learn from the Scripture on our very own and that there's no need to try and benefit from others. That's not the claim. Sola Scriptura is the claim that so long as what's being taught conforms to what is in the Scriptures, it is true and right and useful. So that's what Sola Scriptura is not. What is it then? Really, we can say Sola Scriptura is what the Bible says of itself. For example, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 31.9, the text says this, Moses wrote down the law. And when he wrote down the law, he instructed the people and ordered it to be read to them. Verse 12, so that they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of his law. And Moses declared to all of Israel, take to heart the words that I have solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. Now, think about what's going on here. Three things. One, the, mo- the word that Moses spoke about was written down. Two, the people can and must listen to it and learn from it. And three, this is the very word that can give life. In other words, they don't need any additional institution to interpret the word. They don't need an infallible interpreter. The priests, the prophets, the scribes of Israel certainly functioned to help the people ministerially, help them to understand, but the Word alone was sufficient for life. The Word alone was sufficient for salvation. The the prophets who were indeed inspired came very much in the spirit of Micah who said, He has shown you, O man, what is good. Where has He shown it to us? In His Word. So the function of the prophets and the priests was not to add or even to clarify the law. Rather, it was to apply it to the people who, at the time, were sinfully indifferent to the law of God. So what's the primary principle here? It's that that the Word of God is sufficient. And the sufficiency of Scripture is key. And that's what we see in our passage in 2 Timothy, right? What we see in Paul's letter to Timothy is him writing to his younger brother in the faith. And he reminds Timothy that he was instructed by by his mother and his grandmother at one point as a boy. He also learned from Paul and all that Paul had taught. He had received all of this 
orally. He'd, he'd heard it. He'd heard it even from the apostles. And yet, this is very important, where does Paul point him to? He writes that Timothy, who was instructed by the, in the faith by others and learned from Paul's teaching, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and from whom your childhood you've been acquainted with, the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, listen, Timothy, don't, don't be looking around for the truth about God in places where it's not to be found. There will be false teachers. We've dealt with that in Jude over the last few weeks. There will be those who try to tell you other than what the Bible says. You don't need all of that. You don't need a so-called word from the Lord. You don't need those who call themselves prophets or apostles. You don't need to hear God's still, small voice. What do you need? You need the sacred writings that you have become acquainted with from your childhood because in those words alone are you going to find that which is able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. Notice Paul goes on to solidify his arguments. He writes, all Scripture... He doesn't leave anything out. All Scripture is breathed out by God. This is, this is uh, theologically, we call this the inspiration of the Word. Instead of, instead of um, inhaling, he's, he's exhaling the Word. It's not inspiration in the way we think of it, like it's inspiring, although it is, but that's not what that, that word means. The inspiration of Scripture is the idea that holy men were carried along by the Holy Spirit in the writing of Scripture. So they're using their own words, they're using their own minds, their own ways of writing, but they were doing so without error, and they were writing the very things that God wanted recorded for the good of His church and the revelation of who He is and what He's doing and, and, and what God wants us all to know, that we can love Him and follow Him all the more faithfully. So the Scriptures were breathed out by God. They were inspired by God. And then Paul goes on and he writes, and profitable for teaching. In other words, they help us to understand and to know. They're profitable for reproof, for rebuking us when we're in sin. They're, they're profitable for correction for giving, us, for giving us remedy, for helping us to see how something should be. And they are profitable for training in righteousness, showing us how to walk in the way of Christ, that we could be more like Him. And why? That the man of God may be complete. Again, he's not leaving anything out here. Do you want to be fully man? Do you want to be fully woman in the way God intended you to be? you must know and apply the Scriptures. And he says, in doing so, we will be equipped for every good work. How do you and I do that which God has commanded, that which God desires, that which God calls me to as His child? How do we do that? Well, I must know, I must understand, and I must seek to apply the Scriptures. Peter tells us, in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, that God has granted to us all things, again, we hear that all-inclusive statement, all things that pertain to life and godliness 
through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So how do I live? How do I do good works and know what they are? The Bible tells me. How do I live a godly life? The Bible tells me. How do I raise my children in a way that honors God? The Bible tells me. How do I live in my marriage in a way that makes much of the Lord Jesus Christ? The Bible tells me. How do I go to work every day? How do I rise up and lay down? How do I eat my meals? How do I interact with my neighbors? The Bible tells me because it tells me all that is necessary for life and godliness. So what's the result of all of that? What does Paul tell Timothy to do as a result of it being true that the Scriptures stand sufficient on their own? Uh, Flip over to chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. He tells Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, here's the charge, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You see, Paul is telling Timothy, you need to carry on the work that has been given to you, and it needs to be rooted in and built upon the Word of God alone. Listen, Timothy, there are going to be many people who will hate what you have to say. You will see a day when people won't want to listen. They will shut their ears to all of it because they want to be told something different. They want to follow curly-haired, smiley men on TV who will tell them what they want to hear. But Timothy, don't do that. Don't be that person. You need to be a man who stays tied, who stays tethered, who never walks away from the Word of God alone. You need to preach the Word. You need to reprove and rebuke and exhort and call people to faith and repentance and call Christians to walk according to the Scriptures and to know and to understand and study the Word for themselves and to do all of it, Timothy, do all of it with patience and teaching. Be gracious, be patient, be godly. And the Word of God will change you. You see, the force and clarity of Paul's teaching here is striking. In spite of the rich oral teaching that Timothy had received from his grandmother, his mother, from the other apostles, and Paul himself, Paul tells him, preach the Scriptures. Because those Scriptures give you clarity to all that you need and all the wisdom and preparation to instruct the people of God in faith and good works. The Scripture makes him wise for salvation. And equips him with everything he needs to do every good work required of the preacher of God. The sufficiency and clarity of the word are taught in this one section of scripture over and over again. You see it multiple times just working through these few verses. John Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers, paraphrased the meaning of Paul's words this way. He said, you have scripture for a master instead of me. From there you can learn whatever you would know. Augustine wrote, Among those things which are said openly in Scripture are to be found all those teachings which involve faith, the mores of living, and the hope and charity 
which we have discussed. So we should not be surprised that the Apostle Paul, the Old Testament, the greatest teachers of the ancient church all held very strongly to the sufficiency of Scripture. They held to sola scriptura. It's also very much worth noting that Jesus himself held to the sufficiency of Scripture as well. Remember at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, before he went into the city, Jesus did what? He faced and focused on the temptation of the devil in the wilderness. He faced the temptation as the Son of God, but also as the second Adam and the, the true Israel. And how did he face that temptation? He didn't appeal to the oral traditions of Israel. He didn't appeal to the authority of the rabbis or the Sanhedrin. Most surprisingly, he did not appeal to his own authority as the second person of the Trinity, as God himself in flesh, or the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Our Savior, in the face of temptation, turned again and again and again to the Scriptures. Jesus says over and over again, it is written, and he quotes from the scriptures. After Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and and there were two disciples walking along the road, and they were discussing all that had happened, Jesus disguising himself from uh, from them as to who he was, he he shows up and he's, he's talking to them, and instead of saying, hey guys, listen, it's all true, it's me. It's me, I was resurrected from the dead, it's me. What does he do? It says, as they walked for seven miles, he talked to them and he showed them from beginning to end all that had to happen in order for the truth to be fulfilled. From the scriptures, from Moses to the prophets, he showed them from the scriptures that Jesus was who he said he was and did what he said he was going to do. And then and only then, once they understood from the scriptures, did he reveal himself to them. He did that again. He later met with other disciples and taught them from the Word of God. What is he doing? He is putting their, he's heightening their trust in God's Word. In the fact that the Scriptures are sufficient. That you can trust this Word. You see, the issue is foundational. And we see it even so among the apostles and among Jesus himself. And so the issue was foundational to the Reformation and is foundational to the life and functioning of the church today because it answers the question as to where our authority is to be found. How do we know what to do as a church? Do we just do what we like or do what we think is best or do what attracts the most people? Or what do we do as a church? How do we even know who God is? How do we know what God wants? Well, as for the Reformers, and I hope for all of us, we want to know those things from God Himself and not from someone else. I want to know what God Himself has said. Now, of course, as we've already said, it's important to rely on historical work in the church. It's important to hear what others have said and how they've said it, standing on the shoulders of those that God has given us to learn from and who have made important contributions regarding the teaching of Scripture. However, we must also do so with caution, and we must only do so secondarily as it relates to the Scriptures. I know, for me, in my life, I received a Bible when I was young. 
And it was King James Version. I didn't understand much of it, but I was encouraged to read it and to memorize verses from it. And so I did. And in time, God saved me through that. Now, looking back, and this may be the case with many of you, I'm always amazed at just how simple that is. That a young child not raised in church can read a Bible with language that I didn't fully understand, and the Lord used that to save me. Now, some people will say that it's just too simple and elementary, but I think it shows us just how powerful God's Word is. And if you're not a Christian and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not resting in Him, if you're not communing with Him, if you're not, if you're not grasping onto Him as your only hope for life and salvation, I want to encourage you this morning not to take my word for it, but to take God's word for it. To turn to the Scriptures, to look to God's word, where you will learn that apart from Christ... You were dead in transgressions and sins, beholden to the world and the flesh and the ways of the devil. You will learn that that God's way of salvation is perfect obedience to His perfect law, and you will quickly be made to realize that you as a sinner fall far short of God's requirement. You will learn why it is that it is harder, uh, that, that, that the harder you try to fulfill God's requirements, the more you will fail and the more frustrating it will become because you need a substitute. You need one to fill the gap for you because you're never going to make it. You will see that God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him, and that includes you, will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus lived a perfect life and he fulfilled the entire law that you and I cannot fulfill. Jesus died a death in the place of sinners like us, taking upon himself the full wrath and penalty for sin for his people. And by faith, he credits his righteousness to his children that we might have a right standing before the Father. Jesus was raised from the dead after three days in the grave, and he ascended into heaven and now reigns and rules from heaven as the King of kings, as the Lord of lords. And you can see all of that in Scripture, and the Scriptures are sufficient to tell you all that you need to know that you might live and dwell in the Lord forever and ever. You will know more about yourself if you read the Bible than you ever thought imaginable. You will know more about God than you ever thought possible. You will know more about why things happen in the world the way that they happen than the local news can ever describe to you. You will know why all of your life your heart has been longing for something more fulfilling and something more satisfying and why you're always lacking in contentment. You will learn that the only answer to all of your questions is always and only Jesus Christ. Martin Luther once said, The word comes first, and with the word the Spirit breathes life upon my heart so that I can believe. The fact of the matter is, many people today turn their noses up at biblical authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. But if God did not speak with authority in His written word and then send His Spirit to breathe life in our hearts, we would be lost in our sins forever. So we must stand in the tradition. That's not a nasty word in the tradition of the Reformation. In affirming the truth and the importance of sola scriptura. 
Because if the Bible is abandoned as the sole source of, a, of absolute authority, as the true guide of all that is necessary for life and godliness, then our faith will eventually be abandoned. It happens all the time. If you look today at any group who once was faithful, following after the Lord, the first thing they abandon is the authority of Scripture. And then from there, they abandon one thing after another, and they are departed from the faith entirely. My friend, Chris Powell, a pastor in Canada, you've met Chris before. He tells a story of in Toronto, uh, the biggest church in Toronto, the cornerstone of the church. It says it was built to the glory of God alone. And just two years ago, the church gathered together and they voted and they went and they changed and they scratched it out and added an extra O to the glory of good alone. Why? Because once, years ago, they decided to abandon the authority of Scripture. And now God has been removed altogether and their pastor calls herself an atheist. Augustine wrote, Faith will start tottering if the authority of Scripture is undermined. And it's true. Now, if you're a skeptic or you think the Bible isn't what I'm making it out to be, I can't prove to you that it's true, but I don't have to. I know that doesn't sit well in modern conversations, but the thing is that the Holy Spirit of God can convince you of that. And until he does, you will never see the Bible for what it is because even though you know God profoundly, you suppress the truth about God in unrighteousness and refuse to see what is true about him. Now you see, anyone who rejects the Bible as God's authoritative, inspired, inerrant, clear, necessary, and sufficient word ultimately reveals more about themselves than about the Bible. The problem is not the Bible. The problem is the human heart. But when the Spirit comes, working inseparably with the Word of God, a remarkable thing happens. We become silent. Our mouths are shut. We become, as, as Isaiah said, we, we come to a place where we say, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And when the Spirit eventually opens our mouths once again, we cannot help but cry out, This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. And so the call this morning for all of us is that we would look to the Word of God and take refuge in the Lord of the Scriptures. You can know God from His Word, and in knowing God from His Word, you can embark on a journey that you will never regret, because it is a journey that lasts forever and ever as we learn from the God who inspired all, that we might know Him and that we might live with Him and have all that we need for life and godliness. May it be that all of us would take refuge in that Lord together. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We give you thanks this morning that we've been able to focus our minds and our hearts on what your word truly is. Lord, all of us at, at times, we've, we've taken that for granted.
At times your word has sat, sat idly. It's not rung in our hearts and our minds. And so we pray this morning, Father, that as we think afresh of what the word of God is, that we would cherish it all the more that we would seek to know it all the more, that we would seek to apply it all the more. And so we pray, O oh God, we pray that you would give us a greater love for the Scriptures and that we would depend not on our, our supposed authority, not on our supposed righteousness, not on our supposed understanding of things, but that we would turn to the Scriptures alone as the sole source of ultimate authority for our lives and for your church. We pray, God, that you would help us to do that because our hearts are so prone to wander away from the true authority that is ours. May we stay tethered to the Word of God. May we never depart from it because we want to live our lives and we want to be a church that is always focused on the glory of God alone. And so we pray you would do all of these things for your name's sake. And for the strengthening and building up of your church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.